Hi, I'm Catherine. And I'm Teresa. And we are the co-authors of the book, Pass the Baton, Empowering All Music Students. Our goal is to share stories of educators who are passing the baton and empowering their music students. We want to help teachers create music lessons that transform students from passive consumers to vibrant creatives. Welcome back to the Pass the Baton podcast. We're here to talk about all things student empowerment in music education. Before we introduce today's guests, we want to remind you to follow or subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any future episodes. In addition, if you like what you hear today, please consider leaving a rating or review. That's what helps podcasts like Pass the Baton grow. Okay. So what did you think about today's interview? I thought today was great. I thought like, again, if I was a learner in their classroom or in their ensemble, I feel like I would really know how to go home and practice at some point, right? Mm-hmm. Like it, it's a process, but I feel like it it wouldn't be this separate thing that, oh yeah, you got to go home and pull out your instrument and figure out what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just thought it was really great from a learner experience. Yeah. And I think sometimes we, as ensemble directors, we put ourselves in that situation, not on purpose, but like it, it happens because we do it. Like we say to the kids, oh, well, you practice at home and you know, here we rehearse and you almost tell them that they're separate things. But what we really mean is you know, we need you to spend that time at home learning your parts. And what Katie and Tracy have done is they have set up this system where the kids really can work on their parts independently and then transition to becoming these independent musicians. Yeah. I mean, it's the intention is there, right? Like they, every, in everything that they do, there's so much purpose um, and the, in um, really concentration on what to do so that when they go home and they're in, and they're independent, they know, they know what to do and they're empowered yes. to, to get the work done. Right. Yeah. Yes. Because they have the tools to make music on their own. Yeah. All right. Welcome back, everyone. It's great to be here. And we are joined by two awesome guests that I'm really excited to have the opportunity to talk to. We're here with Katie Labrie and Tracy Maguire. Did I say that right, Tracy? I didn't ask yes. you before. Yes, awesome. Maguire Good. is correct. Woohoo. So um, it's kind of fun because you're both from where the area where I used to be teaching, but then I got to see you present at Midwest this year and really learn more about your work. So thank you so much for being here. And um, could you both maybe introduce yourself? Tell us about your background, your teaching role. Who'd like to go first? Uh, I will. Um, so I'm Katie Labrie, um, and I taught in Fairfax County Public Schools for over 16 years, um, but now have transitioned into a new role. Um, I'm a composer, conductor, clinician, um, and um, my latest venture is I'm the new orchestra division editor for Randall Standridge music publications. We're going to be starting a, an orchestra catalog with him. Um, but I get to work with a lot of different publishers and composers right now, and it's just been a really exciting time. That's awesome. Okay. Congratulations for the new role. Thank you. <laughs> and I'm Tracy Maguire. I have been teaching. This is my 19th year teaching in Fairfax County, um, all but one of which has been at the middle school level. Uh, I, I opened, I had the the experience of opening two schools uh, and I'm now uh, in Centerville, which is much closer to home and uh, working on building up a program that was kind of, uh, it was having some struggles. And uh, so we're in the building process, which is a totally different, but uh, exciting adventure that uh, I'm on right now. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Again, thank you so much for being here. 
very yeah. much. It's nice to meet you too. Um, so I know today we're going to talk a little bit about um, student practice and I guess where, where was your interest or, you know, what was your why in kind of delving into that topic? So, so this actually, my personal interest in it actually started, I brought, uh, if anybody knows Andrew Hitz, he came and did a clinic with my kids one year and said something to the kids that just sort of turned my thinking on practice. Uh, and he said, you know, your director's not going to like this, but it doesn't matter if you practice for 30 minutes. What matters is that you get something done while you're practicing. So if you can get it done in five minutes, you don't need to practice for 30. And I was like, you're right. And so I started, you know, changing the way that I thought about practicing and it became, you know, more about the reflective part of it and figuring out how to practice smarter rather than harder. And then uh, about six years ago, Katie and I were on our way to our Virginia State Music Conference and discovered that we we had a very similar philosophy in, in practicing and thus our whole session uh, started its evolution. Yeah. And similarly, like, I mean, I think just since the beginning of my teaching and I, I started in middle school as well, I realized that these kids didn't know the how, you know, the how to practice. And we, we kind of show them things in class, but they weren't necessarily taking it home. And so I started creating these strategy guides that go along with different musical concepts um, that we'll talk about a little bit more later. Um, and that was kind of intertwined with Tracy's ideas and and here we are. <laughs> that's awesome. I think that's so important because often we do, as directors, we say, oh, you need to practice for this many minutes or you need to practice for you know this long in a week. But we don't think about like what that actually looks like. And yeah, that's a really good point that if they can be more effective in less time, that's great. Or maybe they do spend all of the time, but they're still more <laughs> effective. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. I also think on the teacher side, what you said about just, you know, meeting somebody else and having these commonalities and being able to talk to each other about it. Like, I feel like sometimes we're by, we're by ourselves and there's so much power in like talking with somebody else and like, let's present on it and learn more about it. And like, there's just so much power in that. It just pushes my own thinking forward so much more too. Yeah, and Agreed. I think that's a, like going to these conferences, like, you know, we happen to have this conversation on the drive to <laughs> the conference. Um, but, you know, being at Midwest was really inspiring this last weekend as well. So, yeah. And every time we talk about this to somebody uh, or a different group or present it to whoever, I feel like I come away with something else myself. Like I, I come away with new ideas and strategies. So it's very cool that way. Yeah. All right. So tell us. What's the big idea? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we came up with, we wanted to come up with an acronym to help students to work their way through a practice session purposefully. Uh, and so what we came up with was IDEA. Um, and the I stands for identify. So they're going to be identifying a small chunk of their music that they need to work on. It can be anywhere from one to no more than 12 measures. You don't want to get too crazy. Uh, but yeah, anywhere from one to 12 measures of music that they want to work on. And then the D is for decide. And so that's deciding what musical concept you're trying to improve on. It's not just this generic to get better, right? <laughs> or just to work on the notes, right? Like that's, you know, what we hear a lot. Um, but what specifically are you trying to improve on? Is it tone? Is it dynamics? Is it articulation? And these are some of the things that the kids might not inherently think about because they just think it's about the notes and the rhythms. 
And then once you've got those two steps under your belt, we move on to the E, which was the trickier letter to come up with. So we stretch it a little bit uh, because you're going to execute various strategies. The strategies are the key part here. And they're strategies that apply to your decide step, right? So, you know, if you're going to be practicing rhythms, what strategy is going to help you get better at said rhythms? You know, some strategies will work for rhythm, but they're not going to work if you're trying to work on tone, for example. And then A stands for analyze. And so we like to help the kids think a little bit through this process. Um, it's not just, did you get it or didn't you? But what are you going to do next? So if you did not like super succeed, is there another strategy you might try? Or maybe you did succeed, but how are you going to maintain that success level between now and say the concert? So that's that's the big idea in a nutshell as far as the acronym goes. Um, but then along with it, we have quite a lot of materials and things um, to help students and to help teachers. Um, the first of which um, Tracy kind of mentioned with that execute portion are these strategy guides. Uh, and we have these at a variety of levels. So we have them for more of like the elementary kids. And those are going to be more general strategies. Um, like say chunk it, you know, d- you know, bring things into small chunks. I always say it kind of funny. I go chunk it, and they're like go chunk <laughs> it. It's kind of fun. Um, or my favorite is to play the spot backwards. And notice I said the spot. You know, it's it's that part you identified, not the whole piece, right? Um, and so starting with the last measure of spot, starting the measure before, and then you know building towards that success you've already created. Starting the measure before, building towards that success you already created. So kids tend to like that one. Um, and then the middle school and high school kind of more level um, strategy guides are divided up by musical concepts. So if they're working on tone, what are some, say, string techniques or band techniques? We have ones for each that, um, you know, they could do to try to improve their tone. And then once they've, you know, done those specific techniques, because the the go-to strategy for many kids that haven't been instructed otherwise Mm -hmm. is repetition, right? It's like, let me just do it over and over and over again, which, you know, is great if it's correct already. But if you're practicing it wrong, it's going to be permanently wrong. So we want to avoid that. But once they've done the strategies for their their concept, uh, then we do the repetition piece. And I like to do that one. One of my favorite strategies uh, is called the penny game. It's the repetition game uh, where they they can line five pennies up on their music stand. Or when I teach it in class, I usually do it with like five Jolly Ranchers on my music stand. (laughs) And I'm like, all right, let's play it. And if it's correct, we get to slide one over to the other side. Great. Let's do it again. And if it's correct, we're going to slide another one over. There you go. (laughs) Katie with the visual. Thank you. Uh, And if you make a mistake, all of them go back to the beginning and you have to start over again. The goal being you have to do it five times in a row correctly. Um, But the nice thing is when I teach it, of course, you do it with candy. And then when you're done, done with rehearsal, done with playing, right? Then you get to eat your candy. (laughs) And this has worked really really well for my own kiddo, for sure. (laughs) Same. (laughs) <laughs> That's really fun. What a neat way to make it to make it visual and just to have that little element of of play even with it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so how do you how are you introducing this to the students? Like what so are you I mean you said you put the Jolly Ranchers on your stand. You're doing these things in class? In class, yeah. So we would say, for example, we're working because usually it's during a portion of the year where we're working a lot on um, scale knowledge, right? You Mm -hmm. know, my advanced groups are learning more scales to get prepared for district auditions, and the younger groups are working on learning 
a scale to begin with. Uh, and so once we get a scale, for example, we'll just, all right, we're going to play the scale up and down or we'll do it with a chromatic scale. Um, and so we'll demo it up front and then, you know, everybody gets candy at the end of rehearsal. And then I point out, you know, when you're at home practicing, once you've done your other strategies, this is the repetition phase where you can, you can do this on your own. You don't have to just do it here in class. Yeah. And like for the whole big idea, we do kind of implement it um, bit by bit. So we start by teaching the kids how to identify and decide. Um, and this is a challenge for a lot of kids. Um, you're going to have kids that are like, oh, I'm perfect. You know, like I, 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 music's easy. I know what I'm doing. And then, I, you know, I point out their pancake hand and you know, wrist and like say, oh, that's actually affecting your intonation. Let's see if we can, you know, work on your posture here. Um, and so, you know, they start to learn that there's, you know, again, more than just the notes. Um, so. First, we teach them that identify and decide um, structure. And we do that through a journal kind of uh, activity that is designed just to teach that element uh, or those elements. Um, then we start to introduce those different strategies. We start with those generic ones that we mentioned, kind of like chunk it, backwards, penny game, metronome, things that we kind of all have in our bag. Mm -hmm. um, and then as the year goes on, we kind of start to implement some of the other strategies and show them um how to use those those more specific strategies um and in the, the the trick is to encourage them to then do that at home like this is yeah. not just for rehearsal like you can actually do this at home too um so do, do you model like okay today i'm gonna identify something to, then tomorrow we'll we'll do it as a group is it like an i do we do you do kind of thing like where you're showing them yeah. how you would identify or how does that, I'm, I'm just trying to think about like, okay, I've got my, my seventh grade band in front of me. <laughs> how do I get them yeah. to like, to think that way? Cause so often they want me to just, just tell them, just tell us yeah, what to no, do. You, you, you practice it for sure. Yeah. Um, and you know, and, and it's almost like kind of talking them through your lesson plan. Like, this mm -hmm. is why I picked this, you know? And yeah. um, so this is what I noticed and this is how we can, you know, adjust it. But, um, you know, I do it in sectionals or stand partner mm -hmm. shares sometimes, especially when I first introduce those activities. Um, and that's a way for us to kind of check for understanding as we kind of go mm -hmm. around. Um, and then, you know, of course, having them you know, actually do the journals at home as well and sending them back in, we can kind of check for understanding that way. And I like to I like to have them participate in, in the rehearsal process. So, you know, it's like there was obviously a measure or two that were much worse than the others. I'll just ask the question, hey, which of those eight measures did you think sounded the worst? And, you know, they, they know the answer. And it's like, how many people thought the same thing? Yep. Okay. So we're going to use the add a measure strategy here. And we're going to go back and just choose this one measure that sounds a little bit rough. And we're going to fix it first. And I, you know, modeling and pointing out all the things you're doing doing as you're doing them. So they get more comfortable with the terminology and they start to, to associate the different strategies with the, the skill that they are intended to be tied to. And I think that's a really good point, you know, mentioning this terminology, because that's mm -hmm. not something that all kids will have had background knowledge on. So a lot of what we do in that first quarter is teaching that background knowledge of what is intonation, what is articulation. Um, and, and we do those in context of rehearsal, but tie it back into the different um, journal and guides and things. Yeah, I mean, so I'm I'm a general music teacher, so the ensemble world is a little bit different, or I'm not used to that world. But to me, it sounds like do a lot of us oftentimes 
practice is this separate thing and ensemble time is a different thing. And I'm hearing you say, I'm doing everything that I want them to do in their own, you know, I'm, I'm helping them think through their practicing and their learning so that when they go home, it's not this different separate thing. It's just an extension of your, your, your ensemble, your, your classroom. Exactly. And for a learner, it's like, oh, now I know what to do. You know, because you've given me the tools and I did them in class and now I'm doing them independently at home. But if it sounds like you are not just sending them and expecting them to do 30 minutes and they know what to, you know, like, again, there's so much instruction. So as a learner, I feel like I would know what to do because you've provided me some tools. Yeah. And like some of our journals are designed kind of to be done as a class activity so that they actually kind of have a practice guide that they end up taking home and so that it's, it's right there in front of them. Mm-hmm. That's great. So like what benefits have you noticed with kids um, now that you've kind of implemented this big idea into your ensembles? Um, I would say aside from the obvious, you know, they, they understand practicing a little bit better. I feel like I have had better engagement in rehearsals. So, cause I feel like uh, at least from my historical perspective, you know, as a performer, you know, it's being in an ensemble is a very set and get kind of situation, like a, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, it's just a situation, right? You sit there and your director tells you what to do, you do it, and then they tell you something else, and then you do it. Uh, And it's real easy as a director myself to fall into that trap, you know, when you're getting towards a concert and you want things to move quicker, it's faster to just tell them what to do but it makes like it pays off in the long run when you can say you know hey guys what do you think we can do to make this section sound better like we got the rhythms and notes but it needs something else and you know and they can brainstorm ideas with you because what it ultimately leads to and these are my favorite moments are when a student will raise their hand and be like um miss maguire this whole note's real boring do you think we should add some dynamics to this like should we add a crescendo here i'm like Yes, you have got it, my friend, right? So (laughs) making them more engaged in the process and just thinking about music more critically and more creatively than just play that note for four beats and push down these fingers, you know? Yeah, and I even took it um, a step further. I had a student that was just really engaged with this process and I ended up letting her choose a piece of music as an eighth grader. She rehearsed the group. I was there, you know, giving her you know, feedback every once in a while, but she did everything, conducted the concert. And it was, you know, experience that she'll never forget and her, her peers will never forget. And, you know, now she's going to teaching, actually, not music teaching, but still teaching. And I think that the big idea kind of works on so many levels, you know, whether it's it's learning music or studying or whatever it is, it, it kind of all uh, equates together. So when you're in that PD session and, you know, they're trying to say, well, how are you going to, you know, follow what all the English teachers are doing? You say, well, I have this big idea. And you know, it, it does. It works. Yeah. Well, because what you're talking about is you're helping them become independent musicians. Yeah. And you're helping and them to, thinkers. yeah, yes. And to be able to make music on their own and not like Tracy said, just when the director's telling you how to, because yeah, we right. do, we, we kind of get into that mindset sometimes where the, you know, the kid thinks that they can only do it if you're giving the instructions and if you're saying, oh, this is where the crescendo goes, but no, they're, they're capable of those decisions and we need to give them those opportunities. Yeah. 
And then connecting it to real life too, because like idea can be used anywhere. It's, I mean, it's generated for music, but it's a goal setting acronym. You know, they have smart goals, but the, you know, this helps them, it it like breaks it down just a little bit further and helps them figure out how to accomplish the goals. Uh, And it, you know, ties right back into everything else that they're doing in their other classes as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. (laughs) So, um, with anything, you know, new that you're trying to implement or work on, have there been challenges? Yeah. And I think I touched <laughs> a little bit. On, I mean, there always are, right? You know? Yeah. But um, I touched on a little bit of this earlier. When we first started implementing the whole big idea, we realized we had to break it down even further. Right. And so that's why uh-huh. we created journals that were specific to the I and the D and then, you yeah. know, to the, to the E and then to the A and then kind of build it together. Um, and by the way, you can um, access all of those on our website, which is um, practicewithpurpose.net. Um, it's all free and it's all like reproducible and editable. So you can kind of make it your own to make it work for your students. Um, but then when we were at Midwest, Tracy mentioned something else that I thought was really important about challenges. Yeah. So in in my school, and I know in many of your schools as well, for those who are listening, um, I, I have a great number of students who are struggling with poverty. And that comes with a set of challenges, one of which often is the inability to practice at home, whether it's because you don't have the physical space to do it or the space you have is not conducive to practice. For example, one time a student shared that the room that she was staying in um, was divided up with literal sheets hanging from the ceiling. She did not have a place where she could actually practice her horn. or perhaps their parent is, you know, working at a call center and taking calls in their house and they can't play instruments in the house. Or, you know, maybe they're just overcommitted everywhere else and they literally don't have time because this, you know, in our area, that is also very common. Um, so having the time outside of school to practice can be problematic for many kids. So uh, what I've had to start doing is is creating time and space for them to do that during the school day, whether it be, you know, it's generally not before school because we start school at 7.30 in the morning. So it's early already. Um, but we have, you know, an intervention block in the middle of the day. And if they're caught up in their other classes, my practice rooms in my classroom are free and open for anybody to come down with a pass and practice. They stay after uh, and practice it, you know, and get extra help and all of that good stuff. So, and even giving them time in class, if those things aren't options, just like here, you have 15 minutes. This is what I want you, you know, to make your make your goal, figure out what you're going to do. What steps are you going to use? You've got 15 minutes. Make it productive. Let's go. Yeah. I love then, that because you can then, then they're not only practicing independently, but they've got you, right? Yeah. So if somebody has a problem, they can call you and, and get that little bit of help. That's really nice. Yeah, Sorry, Katie. Terrific. Go ahead. No, no, no. It's okay. No, it's definitely terrific. Um, and then, um, at Midwest, someone came up to me after our presentation and said, how do you handle all the paperwork? (laughs) Because we do have a lot of journals that are paper-based. Um, um, personally, when I was doing that, I did it through like Google and I just found that a little faster to do it through Google Classroom. But, um, I often would do a practice, what I call practice project every week. So it's not like a weekly thing. It's not a, a, you know, daily thing. Um, and you know, and some of them, like I mentioned, we have one called the five, five, five journal where they pick five spots to work on. They pick five strategies they might try, and then they practice for at least five days, you know, during the week. 
And this is more of like one of those pre-planning journals. So it can be an activity that you do in class as a sectional or something. Um, and you can kind of be monitoring that. So it's not as much of like sitting there and reading every single you know, thing. So that kind of helps a little bit too. Um, yeah. And if I'm, I'm being completely honest and transparent when I was at my, especially at my previous school where, you know, I was by myself and had almost 200 students in my program. That's just not a realistic number of pieces of paper to grade. Um, <laughs> I would not read every word. Uh, sometimes it'd be like, I read a couple and be like, okay, you got it. Move on to the next one. You know, it's so it's okay to do that. You know, you don't have to read every single one of their things uh, unless you have the time, in which case more power to you. Um, and then, you know, sometimes you can mix it up. You don't have to do the long written assignments because let's be real, the kids don't want to do all the written. They have to do written assignments for everyone. So if you can get away from those every once in a while, it's real helpful. So we do things like... Um, Practice bingo is always a hit, especially with seventh graders when they're in eighth grade, they're a little bit too cool for practice bingo. Um, but at least that's what I've found. Uh, but I always do it, you know, a lot of times I'll do it before the holidays or before spring break or something like that, where I give them a bingo chart and each box is some silly location to practice. Uh, and they have to try to get bingos and they're entered in to win prizes. Every bingo, you know, is entered to win a prize or blackouts get automatic prizes or whatever. It's like practice in the shower with the water off uh yeah. you know go practice under a tree uh something yeah. just ridiculous but they get into it yeah um as you were talking about all the paper i'm wondering i was thinking like what about something like flipgrid what what would oh, a yeah. video you know what would a video journal be like i definitely that, have done that yeah um, and i've done Same. it in different ways um so often you know because with flipgrid you can have private ones and then mm -hmm. open ones so the public ones, I'll have them um, just talk about what, uh, you know, just tell us, identify, decide, you know, and mm -hmm. execute and analyze. And just tell us what spot they're going to work on and why and what strategies they might use. And so then other kids can go, oh, you know what? I struggle with that part, too. That's a really good strategy for me to use. Mm -hmm. And so they can kind of play off each other that way. Um, but then the actual playing piece, I keep separate. And then they show me, like... Yeah how they worked through that. So that's definitely one of the strategies that we use um, as well. Yeah. It'd be neat to see a student do what you said and do like the pre-planning and then come back and do a post analysis. <laughs> like, okay, so here's what I thought I was going to do. Here's what actually happened. I don't, I don't know if we could get them to that level of thinking, but that would be, it'd be, Oh no, for sure. It'd for be sure. cool to see that thought process. Yeah. Cool. So I think you had a website you talked about, which sounds like there's a lot of maybe some ideas to look at, but what can do teachers do tomorrow? What lots of ideas, lots of resources. Now, the the whole process, like we we designed it to start at the beginning of the year, but if you haven't started it yet, that's okay. You can start tomorrow and still be successful with it. Um, you know, you just start with teaching. So um I like to ask before we start introducing idea, I ask the question, how many of you have ever sat down to practice and spent like 30 minutes playing your instrument and then finished and just thought to yourself, what, did I just do anything? Did I accomplish anything? Or was I just wasting 30 minutes of my life? And of course, almost every hand in the room goes up because everybody's experienced that, right? Um, and then I say, we're going to learn how to practice with a little bit of purpose, practice smarter, not harder, right? So I'm going to teach you this acronym, IDEA. And then we start just with 
I and D identify the spot and decide on what you're going to do. And a lot of us are getting started with, you know, new music after the holiday break here. Um, so for example, what we're going to do is I'm going to be introducing new music. We're going to play through a chunk of it and everyone is going to identify of the chunk that we did in class. What is the, you know, pick a few measures that you need to, to work on a little bit harder. And it's going to be different for different sections. It's going to be different for different individuals. Uh, and we're just going to start right there. Um, so you can literally jump right in, uh, because, well, Katie's going to talk here a second. The background knowledge is the big piece, right? Yeah. So I've done this presentation at different points during the year and people come up to me and say, well, you know, cause we have like a little timeline that we show. And well, but it's November, it's January. Like, how do I, how do I do this? Well, the thing is, you've been doing it. You know, you've been teaching the kids this background knowledge. You've been teaching them what these different words mean. You've been teaching them strategies all along. It's just putting it into a format that they can follow and understand, um, you know, fairly easily. So, you know, like Tracy said, just, you know, start with just identifying, deciding that goal setting pieces. By the way, we call um, we call this uh, creating OMGs, which is obtainable musical goals. And so we have a, even a lot of little stickers you can give them uh, for creating their OMGs. It's really it's taking what you've been doing and just being more intentional about telling them what you're doing so that they understand the process as opposed to just blindly following whatever it is you're telling them to do. Yeah. And then like by a fourth quarter, usually we're not even doing the like structured journals anymore. We're doing some sort of music growth project or choice board or that bingo game or something like that, just to kind of mix it up. Because by then the goal is that they know how to practice with purpose um, and and they're ready to kind of do that a little bit more on their own. Um, yeah. Cool. Is there anything that we forgot to ask you about the, about the practicing or the big idea? <laughs> One thing I was thinking about when we we're talking is um, the concept of quantity, um, you know, and this kind of came from us having previously used, you know, practice logs where it was just write down your minutes every day and, you know, turn it in at the end of the week, yeah. which I think is a very common thing to do. And we're like, how can we get away from this just, quantity-based thing and go to a quality-based thing. Um, so initially, we didn't have any element of quantity in our journals. Mm -hmm. And what I noticed was that the students who needed that structure missed it. And they even asked me, they're like, why isn't there a place to put my minutes anymore? Like, mm -hmm. I, I'm not doing it because I'm not having to write it down anymore. And I was like, oh, wow. Um, the kids that were going to lie are going to lie anyway. And, and you know <laughs> what they are, right? So, um, so I did go back to putting an element of quantity, sort of. Sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll ask them for a certain amount of minutes. But what I often do now is just ask them to check off any day they had a quality practice session. So, and, and they know by now that that is going through the big idea, you know, working on a couple different OMGs. Um, and kind of like um, uh, Andrew Hitz said, you know, that might take five minutes, it might take a half hour. And, you know, as long as you got there, that was that's the point is the success. Yeah. And something that I that I've thought about is and noticed, I guess, is in getting them to be more engaged in rehearsal, you do kind of have to build that community first, because if they don't feel safe enough 
to share their opinions. Like it takes time for that kid to be ready to raise their hand and say, we need to add a crescendo here. Right. Cause you know, kids don't walk into a classroom thinking I'm going to tell my teacher what to do um, <laughs> because that's just not the way they've been taught, but that's, you know, the way a great music classroom is going to run. Um, so doing things to build that community in your class, whether, you know, it's just silly icebreaker games or attendance questions, um, allowing them time for random conversations, you know, letting them come and hang out in the band room when they're supposed to be in the cafeteria until X, you know, time, but they keep, you know, migrating to the band room because it's not the cafeteria. You know what? Great. Hang out in here. You're not doing anything wrong. And you're building, you know, that community or, um, I like doing non-competitive games sometimes. You know, I'm competitive like the next person, so I like the competitive ones. But <clears throat> non-competitive ones allow them to lift each other up without feeling like they're, uh, you know, rooting against their team, for example. We do um, this tuning game I call the Smiley Baby Club. Now, if anybody's <laughs> familiar with the Tonal Energy app, um, so what it does is when you tune, uh, a smiley face appears in the center of the screen, right? And the longer you're in tune, the bigger the smiley face gets. And, uh, you know, an update went through during quarantine where little tiny smiley faces pop out of the big smiley face if you hold it long enough. And I got real excited about it. And I called them the Smiley Babies. Um and when we came back in person, uh, we sort of started this, I started this smiley baby club where, cause the kids wanted to try to make the smiley babies appear themselves. And I was like, great, sure. Uh, and so anyone, you know, I would give, you know, three, four kids a chance during class to try and get the smiley babies to appear. And if they do, their name goes in the smiley baby club on the board. That's literally, it's literally their name on a board. Uh, and it's like a source of pride for them to be able to get their name on the board. And then, you know, ultimately we'll do a donut party or something simple to celebrate uh, when everybody has gotten into the Smiley Baby Club. But yeah, the non-competitive nature, you know, they all are cheering for each other when they're successfully able, especially when, you know, they were not successful to begin with because it's more challenging than it sounds. It looks real easy when I demonstrate it up front, but when they try to do it, they realize, oh, there's a lot more to this than I thought. So you know, when someone's tried multiple times and they get to lift each other up, it just helps to build that community piece. I love that you said that because, I mean, well, you know that that's our next question, but <laughs> but it is it is so important. And that's what we found. You know, we're 40 some odd episodes in and almost everyone we talk to has mentioned some aspect of having that sense of community, building those relationships, because if the students don't feel safe, they're not going to be able to take those risks. Um, I think it was Jody Blackshaw when we talked to her back at the beginning of the season, she said um, the, the best way to, to test it is to have the kids do a think pair share. And if your room is quiet, they don't feel safe. <laughs> if they don't feel safe, just turning to their neighbor and talking. And then she's like, you have to start there. So I think what you're, what you're talking about makes so much sense for this as well. We, we need them to be vulnerable. We need them to take a risk and to try something. And if they don't feel like they're part of that community, We've got, we've got nothing. Katie, do you have any, any community thoughts to add? Like any other ways um, that you've built community in your classes? Yeah. I mean, similar types of things that Tracy does. Um, the class that always had the lunch period for me, um, we would order pizza about once every <laughs> two weeks or so they would order at the beginning. They bring, they bring money that, you know, I, you know, and I just order it. And, and so then they would end up staying for lunch and it was, and it became a thing. Like they wanted to be in the class. That was that period. So <laughs> they would get that that year. Um, I've also worked with high schoolers where they were just so stressed with APs and I, IBs and all these different SA, yeah, acronyms, SATs. <laughs> and, um, 
And there was just days where I'm like, you know what? You guys need to be kids for a second. And I took them out on the the football field and I brought a ball and we played Red (laughs) Rover and whatever. I will mention, though, that make sure they haven't just reseeded the field um, before you go outside (laughs) because you might get in trouble. Uh, But um, but for the kids, it was great. And I had parents writing me and I was worried when I got the emails that they're going to say, why aren't you rehearsing? But they were like, thank you. You know, thank you for letting the kids be kids. The kids actually asked if they could do their homework if we weren't going to rehearse. And I said, no. I said, no, you're going to go and be kids for 10 minutes, you know, like whatever it is. So I think that's that's important. Yeah, to tag on to that, uh, this is just new for us uh, in the last couple of years. After the pandemic, our county started uh, instituting recess for middle schoolers. At first, they called it break, and then they were just like, okay, it's recess. Um, and I, a lot of teachers... Well, sorry, we also have this intervention. We're doing a a flex back intervention, right? So every seven days, six, seven days, I get to see a class for an extra hour. Um, And a lot of teachers are using it to do remediation and do extra work and, you know, really dig in on some of the topics. And I've done a little bit of it, but I've found that when I give them that opportunity to just chill and hang with each other and play board games or go outside. I have a, you know, a set of basketballs and footballs and soccer balls uh, and just hang. That definitely helps to foster that community building piece when they just get to be kids. I had that same kind of flex back thing um, before the pandemic. And um, I had a social committee, you know, I had, you know, president, you know, different um, council members, but we had a social committee and their job was to plan our, our flex backs because I thought that the social emotional learning aspect of it, even before the pandemic was going to be more useful for a time. We weren't allowed to teach anything new. Um, and of course there were, you know, if it was like the day before assessment, we would rehearse, but, um, but there were a lot of times where I let them kind of create group bonding activities. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, this has been great. So how do how do people connect with you if they would like to learn more about your work? Well, um, our, our website is a great place to check out practicewithpurpose.net uh, to see the resources. There's printable posters and stickers and all sorts of activities and assignments. Um, email is a great way to get in touch with both of us as well as through social media. Uh, I feel like we're pretty easy to find <laughs> on uh, all those places. I think we're going to put our like contact information in the so I don't, I don't need to like try and spell it out or anything for you. <laughs> yep, I'll put links in the show notes for sure. Yeah. yeah and then I also have my personal website, which is katieoharelabrie.com that has links to all my music and then also some free music and other resources that I've created um, and clinics and information on those. So. Perfect. Well, yeah, we will have links to everything. Well, thank you so much for giving your time. We're currently on winter break, so I really appreciate you being willing to, you know, to talk shop during this time. But this has been great, and I think people are going to find it really valuable. Too, so, yeah. thank you. Well, thanks awesome. for thanks you. for the invitation. Of course. Thanks for joining us. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'd also love for you to consider sharing this podcast with a friend and leaving a positive review. That's one of the best ways to get this message to new listeners.